Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to Face Connecticut, an in-depth look at today's issues. Good morning and welcome to another edition of Face Connecticut on WTIC News Talk 1080, 96.5 TIC-FM and Light 100.5 WRCH. Aaron Kupek with you this Sunday morning. Shawcraft, Bradley Airport's closed for an aircraft uh, incident. The air traffic control recordings from Wednesday's crash of a World War II B-17 bomber that left seven people dead. Engine problems are a focus of investigators. The Flying Fortress reporting problems shortly after takeoff. Uh, Boeing 93012, we'd like to return to the field. November 93012, sorry, say again. I'm um, down to 7,000 for 5,000 Airbus. Question there, Embraer. What's the reason for coming back? Sir? Got number four engine. We'd like to return and blow it out. On Thursday, Emergency Services and Public Protection Commissioner James Rovella had the grim task of naming the dead. The crew, Ernest McCauley, he's the pilot. He's age 75 of Long Beach, California. And this is one of my asks of the media. As you explain uh, some of the names, Mr. McCauley's uh, physicians or dentists um, have been elusive to us along with his, um, his residence. So a call would be to those dentists and physicians that might have treated Mr. McCauley over the years. That would assist us greatly. The co-pilot, Michael Foster. Let me just go back just a little bit. Mr. McCauley, 75 years old. Um, Michael Foster, the co-pilot, is 71, of Jacksonville, Florida. David Broderick, age 56, of West Springfield, Massachusetts. Gary Mazzone, age 66, of Broadbrook. James Roberts, 48, Ludlow, Mass. Robert Rydell, 59, East Grammy. Robert Rubner, age 64, Tom Connecticut. The flight engineer, five passengers, and one person on the ground were injured but survived. We're joined now by WTIC traffic reporter and veteran pilot Mike Allen. He's familiar with this plane and the organization that operated it. Mike, what can you tell us about the Collings Foundation? Well, the Collings Foundation is a group uh, that was formed, if I remember correctly, uh, back in the late 70s, early 80s. I don't remember exactly when. They're in uh, uh, the Stowe, Massachusetts area. And they're basically uh, a private museum. Uh, their uh, uh, strong points are... Uh, World War II aircraft, although they do have some aircraft uh, dating back to uh, the early 1900s, as well as antique cars and race cars. Uh, the museum is there for people to visit, uh, but their uh, other primary focus is to bring these uh, World War II and even right up into Vietnam-era aircraft around the country for people to be able to see. So they keep a large number of them in actual flying condition. And you flew on this plane in particular? Yes, I did actually. The uh, the nine oh nine back in uh, mid eighties. Uh, I I 
don't recall the exact year, but uh, uh, the uh, 909 was in Windsor Locks uh, uh, in conjunction with a, an event going on at the New England Air Museum. And uh, through uh, 1080 and AAA, who I was an employee of at the time, uh, we set it up. We put uh, the broadcast equipment in the bombardier section of the aircraft and uh, flew the airplane around Hartford on the traffic route for about an hour and a half while uh, the uh, the real Air One uh, flew along in formation and uh, took over duties when we finished uh, broadcasting. What sticks out to you the most about that flight? Well, uh, how loud it is. I have uh, I was wearing top of the line aviation headsets. And I couldn't, I couldn't even feel myself breathe. Uh, it's so loud. Uh, so when you see these movies where the pilots are talking back and forth in a bomber, no, doesn't happen that way. Uh, but uh, really, the thing that stuck with me more than the thrill of being in that aircraft and talking to with these people that uh, fly and maintain these airplanes was after I was done the actual broadcast duties, we stayed in the air for about an extra half hour. And I walked back to what's called the waste gunner's position, which is about two-thirds of the way back in the aircraft. And uh, it, it's, it's where they had machine guns mounted. Now, this airplane had a plastic a piece of plexiglass covering the openings. Of course, uh, you don't want them wide open anymore. But when it was used during the war, they, these were wide open. And I just imagined myself being a few feet behind these motors, uh, screaming at full power with, with turbochargers or superchargers, uh, adding more noise, flying at 25,000 feet, 22 below zero. Your, your electric suit, which is the only form of heat, failed most of the time, so you were probably freezing. And you had fighter planes flying at you, shooting at you. Then you had flak blowing up all around these things. It's just, it was just such a sobering moment to think about the courage that those guys had when they were flying these aircraft. From what you have seen, how well maintained are these planes that are are brought back, oftentimes from you know rust heaps to to fly again? They receive such attention to detail. Uh, it, it, it's 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 incredible. It, it's probably goes above and beyond not probably i know it does goes above and beyond the maintenance that you see in general everyday aircraft i'm not referring to just general aviation i'm talking about uh, all types of aviation uh, one of the reasons that aviation is so safe is because of the incredibly high standards of maintenance that is required um, these aircraft like people and boy, I, I realize I'm, I, I, I don't want, I hope this comes out right, uh, Aaron, but the, these aircraft like people are irreplaceable. Now, the value of human life far in a way exceeds anything of any airplane. But when you lose one of these like this aircraft, it never comes back. So they want to keep these things uh, uh, in perfect condition, and not only to preserve them, but of course, the tragedy that just happened, uh, that's something that nobody wants. In fact, we understand that the, the pilot of this plane, Ernest McCauley of Long Beach, California, was probably the most experienced B-17 pilot in the country. I had read that. Uh, I didn't know him. Interestingly enough, I remember the gentleman that was flying the airplane. His name was Chip, and he had had uh, gobs and gobs of experience flying this aircraft. He was just a wonderful, wonderful man. But yes, the current pilot and, and co-pilot, very, very experienced. For 
people who volunteer for this organization, typically it's it's a labor of love to keep these planes in the air. Oh, it is. It is. Uh, much like any uh, museum, whether it's aviation or automobile or whatever the type of the museum is, uh, you know, people that, that work with these things truly love their, their machines or whatever it is they're taking care of, and they work very, very hard to make sure everything's perfect. Investigators are looking closely at reports about engine problems. Are there any particular details that you've seen that jump out at you that could be clues about what may have happened? Uh, not really. Uh, I, I, I will say up front, you know, I know it's typical with media. You, you, you tend to hone in on individual details. And while almost everything that you've heard in the news right now deserves to be looked at and it's part of the overall scheme, uh, to to point at any one thing in particular, far far too early. Everything that's pointed to should be looked at, but too early to to justify as a cause. Uh, I will say that from what I understand, uh, one of the engines they had trouble getting it started. Now that's not that uncommon. Uh, even even Air One, there were a couple of days when I was flying, it didn't want to start. It get flooded. You clear it. You go through certain procedures to make sure everything's right. And then you go. Uh, so the fact that there was some work going on on this uh, uh, engine uh, that is technology from the 1940s, basically, late 30s, early 40s, although it's brand new, uh, the technology is old. Uh, when, when you flood or have a little issue like that, you, you have to get in there and do some work on it to get her going again. I know modern airliners, jetliners, are designed to be able to, to fly when one engine fails. This plane had four engines. Was it also designed to be able to operate with engines down? Oh, yes. Uh, actually, that's one of my speculations about what happened here. Uh, the fact that one engine failed, if you had a typical engine failure where it just stopped running, nothing else went wrong, that airplane could continue on and not have a problem. Uh, it's, it's, it wasn't heavily loaded, uh, to my knowledge. Uh, you know, when, when these airplanes flew during World War II, they were carrying thousands of pounds of bombs, fully loaded, 12 crew members, ammunition, and all kinds of other uh, things on these uh, airplanes. And they would lose an engine, sometimes two, uh, as in the story with the Memphis Bell. You know, sometimes these airplanes would come back with parts of wings and tails missing and engines missing completely, and they could these pilots flew them back and brought them down. So I suspect, my suspicion is there's a little more than just one engine failure that happened with this. Certainly federal investigators are going to be leaving no stone unturned. What do you know about NTSB investigations? They can take a long time, but really they're they're very thorough, aren't they? It is phenomenal. Uh, I would recommend anybody listening to this uh, to, if, you, if you're curious, it, it is absolutely incredible how they can put uh, an airplane back together, piece an accident scene together to come up with a cause. Uh, I have seen many in the past, uh, I've, through my flying career, I have unfortunately lost a few friends and, and, and so on. I've seen a few airplane accidents. And what the NTSB does to actually reassemble a crash scene uh, is, is phenomenal. And it's highly, highly documented. These people are brilliant. 
how quickly did news of the events of Wednesday spread through the aviation community? Oh, it was like a rocket ship. Uh, my my phone was was ringing all day. Um, friends, a lot of them that I hadn't heard from in quite a while, uh, and uh, knowing that that uh, I flew, also many of them knew that I had ridden in a, in a B seventeen along with several other World War II aircraft. I've been lucky enough to ride in, but uh, they're all checking in to see what I knew. It spreads fast. The aviation community, like many communities, very small, very close knit. You know, we're hearing stories about the, the people who who died and, and those who survived. It seems so many of them were history and, and aviation buffs, and this is the, the sort of person that tours like this attract, isn't it? It is. It is. And and it's, it's, it's such a tragedy to see this sort of thing happen, but, you know, the, the, the opportunity to be able to see these aircraft uh, is, is so compelling uh, to, to be able to see and feel and, and, and touch uh, history like this. Matter of fact, this same group, the same group of airplanes and the 909 was in Groton, uh, I believe it was last month, and I went down and I toured the aircraft uh, just, just, to, uh, just to be able to see and touch it again, and I'm, and I'm kind of glad I did. To get an idea of how rare a plane this was, we understand that this was one of only 18 still in existence across the country, and probably far fewer were actually airworthy. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I believe most of, I, I yes, I would say that that number is pretty accurate. I thought that most of them were airworthy, uh, but there's not many of them that fly. It, it's there, there is an inherent risk. Uh, despite the fact that these aircraft uh, are highly, highly maintained, something can go wrong, and when it does, they're not replaceable. So that that probably why most of them don't actually fly. You're listening to Face Connecticut. We are talking to WTIC traffic reporter and veteran pilot Mike Allen about the tragic crash last week of a B-17 bomber at Bradley International Airport. Mike, going forward, there have been calls for increased scrutiny of, of planes such as this, you know, flying museums, so to speak. What do you think about those calls? I mean, are, are there more things the FAA should be doing? Well, I, I think, first of all, the initial call that we heard of in the press by uh, one of our congressmen is, is, is way too early. That just What that's basically saying is, hey, this airplane, this crash is the cause of the way the uh, operator is operating the aircraft. Well, not to point any fingers, but there, there are a number of things that could innocently have caused this crash that would have nothing to do with the Collings Foundation all the way up to gross negligence. So there's it's so early in looking at this that to to call for an investigation now is far is way too uh early too premature i know in aviation there are many backup systems in place and i would assume maybe fewer in a plane of of this age but mm -hmm. typically in in aircraft accidents more than one thing has to go wrong is, is that correct that's true uh there there there's two parts of an answer to that question. One is absolutely yes, typically more. As I say, uh, that airplane far more than capable of flying on three engines. Doesn't matter which engine fails, it's very capable of flying on the remaining three uh, in most conditions. So that that is where my speculation is that there was a little more going on than just a quote-unquote simple engine failure. 
but uh, to answer the other part of the question, no, this airplane did not have a lot of backup systems. Uh, that was not part of the technology then. Uh, it does have four engines, partly for that reason. If you lose one, you have some to, uh, more engines to carry on. There are multiple, uh, what I will say that's a backup is on each engine, there's more than one ignition system. So in other words, if you lose a spot, one spark plug in a cylinder, another spark plug keeps you going. If one spark plug wire breaks, another one keeps you going. So there, there is that. But aside from that, there's not too much else for backup. I had read someplace that these planes were produced rather quickly because they didn't think they would have a long lifespan because World War II was kind of coming to an end at that point. Um, I'm not so sure about that. I know the design was made incredibly fast, and it was born out of a couple of previous designs that Boeing had had uh, uh, previous to World War II. Uh, but I don't think that any aircraft produced during World War II uh, for uh, wartime use was designed to have a lifespan of 30, 40, 50 years. It was designed to go out, fly a mission, and odds are it wouldn't survive eight or ten missions. One of the things that made the Memphis Belt so famous was that it was the first bomber during World War II to fly and not lose, uh, fly its entire uh, uh, mission span uh, with the same crew, not losing a crew. Uh, the odds of surviving more than eight or ten missions in World War II was very, very slim. What can you tell us about what sort of inspections any aircraft that still flies uh, have to undergo? What, what, what's how, how stringent are they? Very, very stringent. There, there's uh, a, a couple of sets of, of rules that come into play. Uh, one, this air, all the almost all of these aircraft, if not all of them that fly, are listed under what's called an experimental category. So they have their own sets of rules and regulations that require special inspections by the FAA. But because these aircraft are flown into public areas. And they do carry passengers as a, as a way to help uh, with the costs. And I'd like to hit on that a little bit in a moment, if I could. With the costs of running these aircraft, um, the FAA requires them to be maintained to commercial standards. So they have to have uh, things that are, that are known as 100-hour inspections. Every 100 hours of flight, there has to be a complete inspection. Every aircraft that flies in the United States has to have an annual inspection. Even the little Air One, my little four-seat airplane, I had to have that, that those same inspections. The annual inspection would take almost two weeks. They literally, You literally take apart the airplane, look at every nut and rivet, and put it back together. And these airplanes had to have the same thing. And talk about the cost. I'm guessing in a couple of words, not cheap. No, not cheap at all. They burn gobs and gobs of fuel. Most parts are not available. You can't just go down to Acme Auto and buy uh, the replacement parts. Many, Most parts have to be custom made, custom ordered from manufacturers. And on that, they have to comply with original FAA specifications and be inspected by the FAA before they're put onto an aircraft. Uh, what I was going to say uh, about this is that what the Collings Foundation was accepting for donations uh, to fly these aircraft is only um, 
a way of mitigating some of the cost. In other words, the, the Collings Foundation survives uh, uh, substantially through grants and, and donations and, and that sort of thing to keep these aircraft flying. In terms of the investigation, we could learn some preliminary findings later this week from the NTSB. The full investigation could take around 12 to 18 months, we heard last week. What sort of things will you be looking for in particular as federal authorities begin to render some of their findings? Well, the first thing I'm going to look for is is what I have been mentioning to my friends and to people that are both aviators and not aviators, is that that airplane should have been able to fly easily, hands full. It would be a full-time job flying the airplane with an engine missing, uh, but it should have been able to fly and come back around and land. Now, I'm not pointing at pilots. I'm not pointing at aircraft. Or, there's, just, there's just a piece of this story that we don't know yet, and... I'm going to be looking to see what else may have been involved with this engine failure. Now, any sort of aircraft accident is is always big news, makes big headlines, but Mm -hmm. air travel is still safer than driving someplace in the car or, you know, boating, I would think. Uh, What are the statistics for air travel? Absolutely. I mean, for the it depends on how you want to break it down. Anybody can spin uh, statistics any way they like. But in essence, if you look at uh, miles flown, uh, uh, aviation is hands down the safest way to travel. The The thing that highlights aviation is most times when an airplane crashes, there are multiple people that are injured or died. And let's face it, when you're traveling anywhere from 100 to you know, three, four hundred miles an hour, and you impact something, uh, things are going to happen. It, it, it's, it's not so much that it's likely for an, an accident to happen, but when it does, it usually leads to uh, some pretty heavy injuries or uh, possibly death. Uh, what I will say is that this airplane, since the early 80s, uh, it had had, if I remember correctly, it went off the end of the runway once uh, with a brake problem. Uh, it had a landing gear issue once uh, that there were some uh, injuries with. But um, uh, between that and other aircraft, there's only been a handful, and yeah, you hate to lose anybody, but only a handful of accidents since the early 80s, 25, 30 years ago. Uh, that's, in my eyes, a pretty good safety record. Going back to the the flights that the Collings Foundation provides, these are typically short sort of sightseeing flights, just go up and stay up for, what, 20 minutes to a half hour, then come back? Yes, something uh, in in that neighborhood. uh, They don't go long because it is so expensive. Uh, They have seats and seat belts uh, inside the aircraft. Uh, I I was uh, speaking with a close friend of mine, uh, who's uh, a retired uh, American Airlines and guard pilot uh, yesterday, and uh, you know we were comparing that stuff, and you know he was talking about how even on military flights you tend to sit in nets currently, uh, you know when you're flying in a cargo plane as passengers are flying troops or so on to passengers, they're 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 very sparse seating uh, in these things, but you are seat belted and you are secured. And roughly, how how fast do these things go? The B-17, oh boy, yeah, if you could give me a second, I could look that up. But the B-17 was not was not all that fast. Uh, I'm going to say not much more than a couple of hundred miles an hour is about all that it would uh, uh, fly uh, for 
all it was uh, uh, with its horsepower, it, it just uh, was not a fast airplane. It was not meant to go terribly fast. Top speed, well, 287 miles an hour, but you can bet that the cruising speed uh, was probably no more than about 250. He is WTIC traffic reporter and veteran pilot Mike Allen. Thanks so much for joining us this morning on Face Connecticut. Aaron, it was my pleasure. Thanks for listening to Face Connecticut. I'm Aaron Kupek. Enjoy the balance of your weekend. Face Connecticut is a production of the News and Public Affairs Department of WTIC Radio. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.